If you have your Bibles, I want you to grab it and go with me to uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to take a break from our series today, and I want to share with you another kind of Mother's Day this morning. I want you to go to John chapter 14, and as we think about mothers, I want us to think about our mothers in a different light than we usually do. I realize that many here no longer have their mothers with them. I can think just off the top of my head of at least four in our church family that this is the first Mother's Day without mom. And so I know that there's a few who are coming into this experience, but there's plenty more of us here that we don't have mom and it's been many years. And although I have you in mind, the rest of us who might be going to lunch with mom just after this service... It's not an excuse for you to check out because unless if Jesus, if Jesus tarries, all of us will be united by this common experience. That one day all of us will have to look forward to the day when we'll be reunited with mom once more. All of us, should Jesus tarry, will pass through the veil of death and encounter the afterlife. So while it's hard to endure Mother's Day without mom or dreadful to imagine a day when we'll have to, we can consider that all the moms that celebrate this day, that we have moms who are celebrating from a different vantage point. Can we just consider their perspective this morning? If you open up your Bibles to John chapter 14, I want us to consider mom from a heavenly perspective. What is Mother's Day like from heaven's vantage point this morning. John chapter 14, let's read together. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that even though there might be a heart tinged with sorrow, that there is the possibility of hope. That your word offers us strength and it paints a picture of a better day. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. First, I'd like you to consider if we're going to think of another kind of Mother's Day. A heaven perspective Mother's Day. Then I want you to consider where your mother is dwelling this holiday. In verse 1, Jesus spoke of his father's house. And when you look at that phrase... He's speaking of a place called heaven. Heaven. A place that is not this place. 
Entirely different from this place. He's talking about heaven. It's a comfort to know where mom is dwelling this holiday. What joy it brings to the hearts of those who know who, every mom who knew Jesus, every mom who've come into an experience and relationship with Christ, that they are today celebrating not on this hunk of rock, not on this plane, but they're celebrating in the very house of God in heaven. Notice what Jesus had to say about this place, this father's house. He says in verse 2, I go prepare. Everyone say prepare. I go prepare. Heaven is a place prepared by the Son of God for the sons of God. Amen. Heaven is a place that has been prepared. The Bible tells us that he has gone to prepare a place. D.A. Carson, a Bible scholar, he says it so surely and correctly when he says this concerning Jesus arriving through the threshold of heaven. He says that arriving on the scene after his departure is not the point where Jesus begins to prepare a place, but it is the going itself, the going to the cross of Calvary, the going through the very punishment and process and passion that he went through is what actually prepared the place where a mom now dwells, that Jesus prepared the way. So when we consider this idea of God's house, heaven, we don't have to worry about it being a place that is under construction. See, Jesus is not in the construction business where he's over there with hammer and with saws and all kinds of things, building the homes and the abodes where we shall abide with him. No, he has already prepared the way when he went to Calvary and he declared it is finished. When Jesus went through the cross, Jesus finished the work. We don't have to worry that when we cross through the veil, that we will have to now wait for check-in time to be available to us. I remember one time I was traveling and I went somewhere. I don't know, I think it was with Amway or some, something. We arrived early at this conference and we had to check into the hotel and there was a busload of people. We got there and we had to wait in the lobby. We had to walk around. We were all tired. We wanted to go do what we, you know, go check, you know, get into our room and, and get freshened up and get ready for the conference and all that kind of stuff. But we had to wait. Why? Because the rooms weren't ready. Church, check-in time is irrelevant when it comes to the Father's house. It is ready. When Jesus went to that cross, when he declared it finished, when he rose again on the third day, it was all finalized and ready. The day is now awaiting us to come and cross over into that place. So mom is in a place that is prepared. There is a room already ready for her in what an incredible holiday it must be for her in that space. Our mothers who are not with us today, who have believed in Jesus, our loved ones who have gone before us, they are celebrating in the place that Jesus has prepared for them. But look at this. He says in verse 2, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Say many rooms. Many rooms. He was indicating that heaven is a spacious place with lots of space. It's ample and abundant. How many of you have ever gone to New York City? The Big Apple. 
New York City. I've been there a couple of times and, you know, it's, I always try to find something good, but it's not my favorite place to go, especially drive-in. People hitting my car and I'm like, how can I go when the traffic lights are, are, are green for me, but also green for the pedestrians? This makes no sense. But how can they, they have to do some, something, right? But every time I've gone, I've explored something. New York is about 4,400 plus square miles. It's the biggest city in the United States. And every time I go, I explore something new. And some of you have you know, gone there way more often than I have. Maybe you're a frequent visitor. Whenever holidays happen or, or New Year's Eve, that's where you want to go. Watch a ball drop and explore the city or go to a Broadway show. I've gone and explored a couple things. But every time I go, I know that there's more for me to explore. And even those who live there, I'm sure, have not gone to every nook and cranny and explored every restaurant and every place of interest and every attraction that the city has to offer. But church, let me tell you this. Although the largest city in the U.S. is New York, it is nothing in comparison to the heavenly city that awaits us. The place where mama is resting, where she is with Jesus and abiding, the place that has been prepared. It tells us in the book of Revelations, when John had the vision of heaven, and God showed him what was to come. It tells us that an angel went out and that the angel measured the city. And that the city in Revelations 21 was described as being 12,000 stadia in every direction. Length, width, and height. And when you consider that, uh, Bible translations have translated that to about 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. And you know what? It's, if you do the math, that's a pretty big number. It's a pretty big number. But beyond the number, don't get so consumed with the size that the numbers point to. Because think about this. It's safe to say that the heavenly city is far beyond our capacity to comprehend it. It is way bigger than we think possible. It is going to be large enough to comfortably house every person that will abide within its walls, within its gates, within its limits. The equal measurement of 12,000 stadia reinforces a figurative idea. And that is this. Think of the number 12. It's the number of completeness. It's a number of perfect government. It's a number in the Bible that is seen again and again. There's a figurative idea in it. There were 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. There were 12 apostles to be the apostles that would go out and Jesus would fulfill his mission through. There were 12 baskets of bread left over when Jesus had what? Satisfied every single person in that crowd. Woman, man, child. 12 baskets left over. There are 12, 12, 12, 12 fruits on the tree of life that will be the healing for all nations. The number 12 is a number of perfection, a number of completeness, a number of perfect government. It is a number that basically tells you this, watch out, that in this temple city, in this new heavenly place where mama is dwelling, it is a place that is ample, complete, grand enough. It is grand and big enough that all of Israel, all of those who will be considered the true Israelites, that's not just the people who are by heritage Jewish, but all those who are far off, all those who will come, 
All those who will say yes to the Lord, there is ample space for each and every one of us. Go ahead and nudge your neighbor and say, I got, I got leg room in heaven. There's going to be some, some good space in heaven. There are many rooms. It's a prepared place. It's a place of ample space. It's also this. I love verse 2. He says, I go prepare a place for who? You. Look at your neighbor and say, for you. Now look at your neighbor, the one that you ignored earlier, say, for you too. I go prepare a place for you. Jesus spoke of heaven as a personal place. That's what gets me. It's a personal place. I'm excited that there's room for mom. I'm excited that there's room for, you know, Spurgeon and Wycliffe and Tyndale and all of the martyrs and all of the apostles. I am excited. But there is a place for me. Thank you, Jesus. It's a personal place. See, death for a Christian is but moving day. It's the day where we pass from this temporary sojourn, where we're here for a season and a time. There is a yearning within our hearts that we are not of this world, and we long to go home. And when we finally do, there is a place that is waiting and ready for us. It's ours. There was a, a man by, Harry, by the name of Harry Rimmer, and he, this man, listening to a broadcast on the radio, a broadcast from the program called The Old Fashioned Revival Hour. He heard this uh, program, and the, the man on the program was talking about the sermon next week. And it was going to be all related to the Father's house in heaven. And so he decided, I'm going to write a letter, and I gotta, I'm excited about this topic. Let me write a letter to the radio station. And he wrote, he says this. Let me read you his letter. Next Sunday, you're going to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for about 50 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without price. But the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I am not holding it for speculation. It is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I have been sending materials up to the greatest architect of the universe who has been building a home for me which will never need remodeling or repairing because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and I it will never grow old. Somebody say amen. No more remodels. No more breaking things. No more fixer-uppers. It is done. Termites can never undermine its foundations, for it rests upon the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed upon its doors, for no vicious person can enter the land where my dwelling stands. Almost completed and almost ready for me to enter and abide eternally without fear of being ejected. There is a valley of deep shadow between this place where I live and that which I shall journey in a very short time. I cannot reach my home in that city without passing through this valley. But I am not afraid because the best friend I have ever had went through the same valley long ago and drove away all its gloom. He has stuck with me through thick and thin since we first became acquainted 55 years ago. And I own his promise in printed form, never to forsake me or leave me alone. 
He will be with me as I walk through the valley of the shadow, and I shall not lose my way when he is with me. I hope to hear your sermon on heaven's next Sunday, but I have no assurance I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has been date marked, no date marked for the journey, no return coupon, and no permit for luggage. Yes, I am ready to go, and I may not be here while you are talking next Sunday, but I will meet you someday. And this gentleman, in fact, did not show up on Sunday, for the Lord had called him home. Friends, that's your place. It's personal for you. It is yours and no one will take it from you. It will be suited for your needs and it will be made by his pleasure for your abiding. Heaven is the place that mama dwells. Heaven is a place that is spacious for her. It is a place that has been prepared. It is a place that is personal. So I appreciate it this day. Now, on this Mother's Day, not only can we consider where she is, but let us consider what mom does on this holiday. Where we are, there is sadness. Where we are, there is a certain situation. But where mom is, there is gladness. Where we are today, we experience certain things. Where mom exists today, exists, and, and, and other realities are her portion and her experience. Today we remember, but today those who have gone before us, they rejoice. We recall, we reminisce, we long and we yearn, but they celebrate. They rejoice today. On this Mother's Day. In their hearts, there is nothing but gladness, nothing but praise, nothing but rejoicing. That's what they're doing on Mother's Day. See, they experience the newness of life that is offered. When Jesus spoke of his father's house, of a place with many rooms, of a place that he had gone away to prepare, he was speaking of a place that is completely contrasted with the place where we abide today. When John saw this city, if you go to Revelations chapter 21, where he talks about its breadth and width and height and all that, and you see the descriptions, we realize that the place that he's speaking about is wholly, completely different than what we experience here today. The new city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, he describes it as a place that's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Revelations 21.2. One of the things that he saw about our future heavenly home was a contrast in lifestyle. Verses 3 and 5. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. With who? With men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Someone say amen. And they shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto them, Write, 
for these words are true and faithful. Praise God. Praise God. See, John saw a place where everything was made new. I thank God for that because when I look around, I see brokenness after brokenness. There's nothing new under the sun. Just the newest iteration of debauchery and immorality and brokenness and hurt and pain and suffering. But yet, where they abide, all things have been made new. On this Mother's Day, I want you to think about this, that the place where mama dwells, what mama is doing, she's rejoicing because there is no more tears in her eyes. There is no more death coming for her. There is no more sorrow that is gripping her soul. There is no more pain, no more crying, no more sorrows, no more sickness, no more disease. It is only joy and rejoicing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, never again will a pain grip her. Think about that. This place where we shall abide one day, there will be no cancer that will haunt us and beat us down. There will be no more drug havoc that will try to pursue us and chase us into the gutter. There will be no longer any brokenness and division that will separate us. For it is a place that is beautiful. In fact, look at this. Verse 1 of chapter 21. And he saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for the first time, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. What an interesting thing. There was no more sea. That body, that expanse, that thing that God created, which exists to separate the firmaments, that which separates the U.S. from Europe or Africa, that which separates us from others in other parts of the world, this great expanse has been done away with. So when we enter into this place, there no longer is any separation. Hallelujah. For in heaven now there is proximity to the one that we long the most to be in his presence. And that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is no sea that will separate us in that place. He said that we will be in his presence. On this Mother's Day, what is mom doing? She is beholding and contemplating the face of our Savior. It was a child who was born blind. This child did not know the beauty and the wonder that awaited him in the world because he had no ability to see. And so the doctors understood that his condition was actually something that they could operate upon. And so the doctors were operating on the surgery that would take a long time and it was going to be very intricate, but yet it was possible. There was hope that he could restore, have his sight restored. And so they prepared the child and then they did the surgery and the surgery was successful. They had the bandages on his eyes and we had to have those bandages on for a while. But he was asked the question from all the nurses and the doctors and he said, son, if when you have the bandages removed, who do you want to see first? This young boy said, I want to see the doctor that made it possible. He want, I want to see him first and foremost. 
Friends, today, mom is contemplating the one who made it all possible. She's contemplating in the presence of God, in the courts of our Lord. She stands before him who has made all things, sustains all things, created all things, and there is nothing that can separate her from him. She contemplates his face, his beauty, his wonder, and that is what awaits those who have come to know Jesus. We will get to see, yes, Paul, the apostle, and Peter, and John, Abraham, and all the patriarchs will stand one day and and, and be marveled at the martyrs who went before us. Those Justin Martyrs, those Tyndales and Wycliffs. We'll see the great pastors like Moody and, and Finney. And we'll see Spurgeon and all them. We'll talk to the apostles, Peter and James and John. We'll talk to all these guys. We'll talk to our loved ones. But we'll get to see and contemplate the one that we shall never be separated from. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is a place that is entirely different that people are enjoying some incredible things. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you have loved him. Though you do not know, now see him, you will believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. If we can do that now here, I can only imagine how we'll do it there. There's that song, I can only imagine, right? What that day will be like. How we will respond in the presence of him. Will we stand and sing? Will we fall down and cry? We can only imagine. But one thing we'll get to do is contemplate the face of the one who is near to us and is good to us. Moms who have gone before us who have known our Lord and Savior, our loved ones who have contemplated him, placed their faith in him, are today celebrating in a dwelling that is beautiful beyond comparison. They are celebrating him and contemplating him, but also what makes them ecstatic this day? What makes them jump for joy and shout praises and declare wonders of God in the celebration that is Mother's Day in heaven? I believe is this. It's what Jesus alluded to in verse 3 of John 14. He said, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus was telling them that he would be with them in heaven. One of the glories of heaven is being in the presence of Jesus. And the beautiful thing is this, that he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, in verse 6. He says to them, look, I go prepare a place and that I will come to you again that you will be with me. Jesus alluded to himself being present and he alluded to him being faithful. Think about that, uh, that word, faithful. Being faithful. I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father except through me. There is sorrow in many hearts today because mom is not present. But you can be sure of this, that there is no sorrow in the heart of the mothers who are with the Lord today because they have found Jesus to be trustworthy. They have found him to be true to his word. They have found him who said, hey, I will lay down my life and in three days I will take it back up again. And when he rose from the dead in the resurrection, 
on that Easter Sunday, fulfilling what he had promised his disciples. He showed us that his words are true. And when he says here, I am the way, the truth, and the life, they have known I placed my faith in Jesus and I put all my eggs in that basket. And now I have been validated for here I stand before he who promised and he who made a way. Every mother and every loved one that is in heaven this day is experiencing and enjoying all that heaven affords because one day they received Jesus Christ into their lives. They said yes to the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they are ecstatic today because they chose to trust in him. See, that ecstatic feeling, that joy, that exhilaration, that thrill, that hope, that, that anticipation and excitement can be validated within us if we would simply put our trust in Jesus. If we would put our hopes and our faith and we would anchor everything upon him, we could give him the faith and, and the trust that he is so worthy to receive for he has fulfilled every promise. He has kept every word. He watches over his word to make sure that it will be fulfilled. He's a trustworthy God. Many have memories of a godly mother, amen? How many of you have incredible memories of mom? We have some bad ones too, don't get me wrong. This is not just you know a sugary message. We know that like we read in the poem, life is complicated. Kids will require many roles from mom. And we, you know, who are parents, moms especially, I don't know how my wife has so much patience. And I will blow my top every once in a while. And she's like, no, no, let's, let's, let's guide them in this way. Let's say it in this fashion. Let's correct in this method over here. And so God bless you. That's all I say first and foremost. God bless you. But we have all these incredible memories. There's some hard ones as well. But think about this. Of all the incredible loving memories of our loved ones, of all the, the great, great stories that our moms have cultivated through their example and our experience with them, we, we will have this overwhelming joy and excitement and longing for them. Even in the moments that we forget the hard parts, we will look at the good parts and long for those because moms are so wonderful in our lives. They're a blessing from the Lord. Amen? The Statue of Liberty in New York City was sculpted by a famous sculptor. And he gave 20 years of his life to that work. He actually pledged of his own finances. He actually went to the point of becoming broke because he was investing in this endeavor. And he fashioned that statue. The model that he used was the model of his mother. Bartholdi looked to his mother and the features of his mother, the form of his mother to produce the statue named Liberty. And he chose this model for a colossal masterpiece, which was his own mom. 
Many of us have these ideas and these, you know, thoughts when it comes to our mothers. We'll overlook the hard parts and we'll see all the the good parts. And we have these feelings and these emotions. For many of you, your mom is a masterful masterpiece. She is an example of a godly life. She's the one who taught you to pray and taught you to believe in Jesus and, and was there reading the word with you. And she modeled what it was like to endure and to persevere and shared so many wonderful qualities and virtues in your lives but church let me just tell you this your mother as good as she is you thank her you're grateful for her your mother as godly as she is she is not in heaven today because of the life that she lived she is in heaven today because of the savior that she knew none of us will enter heaven the Father's house, because of the life that we live, but because of the God that we know, the Savior that we know, and as we know him, and abide in him, and keep his commands, and love him, we will model our lives accordingly, because we know him. So it's not that our works will save us. It's the the relationship we have with him will orchestrate and order the life and the works that we do as a byproduct of the love that we feel for him. Mom is celebrating and ecstatic because she knew a savior and her knowledge of him ordered her steps in such a way that she pledged and declared all that she was to him. And it pleased the Father, and it pleased the Son, and it pleased the Holy Spirit. Our mothers and our loved ones enjoy today because they knew a loving Savior. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me Invite the worship team to come on back. And I want you to contemplate something very simple today. I'm speaking of a place that is yet to come. I'm inviting you to contemplate a space where those who have trusted in the Lord are now enjoying. A place that should Jesus tarry, we will also have to enter through the valley of the shadow of death. We'll be unified in this experience called death and the separation of this life and the world that is to come. And because I'm speaking of something that is in the future, sometimes it feels like we can put off this message and leave this for another moment and another time, for we have time. But let me tell you, church, that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. That today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we need to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have allowed him to prepare room for us. It's not something we should put off because tomorrow may be too late. In 1996, a man by the name of George Tulloch led an expedition to the Atlantic. He went to that place of separation. He got to the exact coordinates of where the Titanic was known to have gone down. 
all the way back in 1912. He and his crew recovered numerous artifacts as they dove down deep with submarines and heavy equipment and machinery and incredible, you know, uh, machines that were able to excavate and, and dive deep to uncover the treasures that have been hidden in that place of separation. In his search, Tulloch realized that a very large piece of the actual ship, the hull of the Titanic, had broken away from the vessel. And that piece of iron, that 20-ton piece of iron, was actually right there, close to the carcass of that ship. He saw an opportunity that instead of just rescuing trinkets and, and, and things and mementos from the ship, that he could actually dig up and bring up a very piece of the Titanic itself. And these guys worked hard. They were able to raise this 20-ton piece of iron to the very surface of the Atlantic. But then a storm blew in and things got tumultuous. The rope snapped And once again, the Atlantic enveloped its treasure. They had to regroup. They had to retreat. And they were going to leave. But before doing so, he did something very odd. George got in a submarine. Went on down. With his robotic arm, he went and he affixed a plaque, a metal plaque, onto that hole that fell back down. And he had written this on that piece of iron. I will come back, George Tulloch. What an odd thing to do. It's not like you're leaving your bike in front of a shop to go get some ice cream or something and and you're like, you know, putting a sign on the bike saying, hey, please don't take this because I'm going to be right back and I'm going to grab it. Who in their right mind is going to go all the way down to the bottom of the ocean to dig up this piece of iron? There's not many people lining up. There's not many people qualified. There's not many people with the resources, machinery to go do so. But then stop and think about this. What an odd thing for him to do because it's a piece of a ship that's been down there for almost 100 years at the time that he did this. It's rusted. It's deteriorating. What is he going to possibly, what value and what worth does this thing have? How is it going to make his life any different? What insight and wisdom will it bring to his family? So what an odd thing. I will come back. Signed. George Tulloch. Friends, the very same thing can be said of us. It can be said of you and I, can it not? Why would God go through such efforts to reclaim us? Why would he go through such extremes? Think about this. What good am I to him? What good are we to him?
He must have his reasons because 2,000 years ago, he decided to enter the murky waters of our world in search for his children. And on all who will allow him to do so, he has written this plaque, I will come back, signed, Jesus Christ. And he's placed that over our hearts. I will come back. And he left us his name. He's tagged all who would choose to allow him to do so. And two years later, George Tullock, he did come back. He did reclaim that piece of iron. He rose it from the bottom of the sea and he grabbed it. Jesus will do the same, church. He will come again one day. We don't know when he'll come, but we know that he will. We don't know how he'll come. It says that he'll come riding on the clouds, but yet how does that all look? And how will we all see? How will the trumpets be declared and everyone will understand? How will that actually play out? Will it be like a news broadcast on our phone because we are all connected to the internet? I don't know how that will be. Will it be just an intuition that we all have in our hearts? I don't know. Will we actually hear the trumpet no matter what corner of the earth we are in? At the same time, will that trumpet sound actually reach our auditory nerves? I don't know. But what I know is he's coming. He's coming. Why? It's his desire. We have our opinions why. We have our ideas why. But yet he knows why exactly he decided to care for us. To be mindful of us. To make us just a little bit lower than the angels, but yet that one day we'll be able to rule over angels and decided that we are part of his plan and part of his desire that he so passionately loves us. He knows. And I just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus will come. And beyond our opinions and our reasons and our ideas of how, of when, of why. Here's what it's left for us to do. To trust. He will do the taking home. We will do the trusting here. Leave it up to him. Of how, of when, of why. Who cares? Jesus is on the throne. God is victorious over all. He is returning home. And we live in light of his return. That is what matters. That is what we need to fix our hearts on. And so this morning on this Mother's Day, we might be yearning for mom and longing for the day that we're reunited. And should Jesus tarry, we will come into this experience. But what we need to do today is settle this question. Have I trusted him personally? This Mother's Day, have you trusted him? Have you placed your faith in him alone? Have you said, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I allow you to have your way in my life. 
fulfill your plans and your purposes for I want to make it personal that it is my place you're preparing. You want to make your mom even more ecstatic? Join the heavenly host that one day will be ushered in when he comes home. For only then will it be for you, for all of us, a happy whatever day. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to make this a personal invitation this morning. For you who have heard this message and said that this place that's being prepared, I want it for me. Whether you've said yes to Jesus in the past or not, this could be your very first time. And if you've said it before, but you've walked away and not been faithful, not lined up your life, that it would be abiding with him. I invite you to come to this altar right now. I want to pray with you. Don't worry about your neighbor, your friend. It it matters not. God is preparing your place, okay? He's preparing your place. It's between you and him. It's not between you and your spouse. If your spouse wants it, praise God. If they don't want it, pray that they would. But you make this your moment. If you need to make something right with Jesus and confess some sins, I want you to come to this altar. If you have never sinned in your life or so you feel, that's okay. Come to this altar. Because here's the reality, all of us, okay, so take the stigma out of it. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, period. All of us need him. So don't worry about your neighbor thinking you've got a plank or a dust speck in your eye. The reality is we've got, you know, the Empire State Building in our eyes when it comes to our sins. All of us. If you want prayer for anything, we're here to pray with you. But I want you to come, spend some time with Jesus before you go, before you make calls, before you grab lunch, before all of that. Jesus is here to meet you. Have you trusted him today? There are some of you that need to come to this altar because you are not trusting in him for something. You're trying to figure out how, when, why. You're hurting, you're broken. You're concerned. And Jesus is just saying, let it go and trust me. I will come. I will be faithful. I will step through in your circumstances. I will show up. Can you give up? Give up your working. Give up your trying. Give it up to me and trust in me. Father, I thank you for this day. Only you know, Jesus, if people truly here have settled this question. Lord, we need you. Without you, we can't get to heaven. Without you, we can't experience life and hope and abundance now. 
And that's not just financial blessings. That is, Lord God, life that is not bound by brokenness, addiction, sorrow. Life that is thriving because we have our hope and our faith and our trust in you. Where you have compounded peace into our lives. Where we have stayed our eyes upon you and you have magnified peace within our hearts. Only you can bring this into our lives, Jesus. Lord, forgive me in my frailty if I fail to communicate this to your church. But I pray, God, that not one person who is wavering right now between decisions, who is contemplating whether they are right before God or not. Lord, I pray that even in my shortcomings in communicating, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction right now. Lord, that no heart would, Lord Jesus, be so deceived to leave this place in the same way that it entered. But God, that today there would be a visitation of your presence. That this Mother's Day you would bring, Lord God, a renewal and a resurgence of love and, Lord God, peace in their hearts because they have been met and touched by you. Lord, I pray, strengthen those who are weak. Bring life to those who feel like death is reigning in their circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would dry up the sea of separation and allow men and women today to experience your very real presence that is soothing, that is encouraging, that is restoring that is life giving I trust Holy Spirit that you're working and moving have your way in every heart have your way in every soul Thank you for wiping away our tears. If not in this life, in the one to come. I don't know how, but you will do it. I only pray that you would do it. Where more and more of us, more and more of our loved ones, our family members, our neighbors, our colleagues, that Lord God, we will not have to contemplate what it will be like and how you will do this for those of us who are now thinking of those that did not come into this experience. I entrust that to you. Put a burden in our hearts, God, that we will not let ourselves go or those whom you've put in our path go. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. As you come and spend time with the Lord, as the Lord dismisses you, I just want you to to feel free to just minister and worship and and praise and, and all that other stuff as God leads you. You just extend a hand up. May the love of our Father, that just goes beyond all comprehension. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, who stepped into the murky waters, may the fellowship, the power, the enablement, the presence of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. God bless you.